Hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge-Muncie community. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Kaelin McPherson. Today, on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we'll begin with Mark Dunley at the Rally for Better Bottle Bill and Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act. Then Marsha Lazarus talks with Kaleem Jamison, Counseling Group's CEO, Fred Miller, about creating diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplaces. Later on, Troy residents demand the city d- deals with the lead pipe issue. After that, Grannies for Peace on Valentine's Day protest. And finally, Lay Strimback speaks with the social benefits of acting skills. But first, here are the headlines. The Times Union reports that the long-delayed infrastructure improvement to the Lark Street business strip in Albany will begin in March. Planned improvements include pavement restorations, sidewalk repairs, lighting enhancements, stamped asphalt strips to calm traffic, and Americans with Disability Act compliance ramps and sidewalks. Some businesses worry about how it will impact the the parking, which is a long-standing concern both for shoppers and residents. COVID tests, which for the past three years were paid in full by insurance providers, could get expensive for the average consumer once the national public health emergency ends on May 11th. And in April, New Yorker is slated to resume eligibility reviews for Medicaid and Child Health Plus, a practice that was paused during the pandemic, meaning hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers could lose insurance coverage over the course of a year. Lab tests for COVID currently run about $400. Survivors of violent crimes stood side by side with former inmates at the Capitol on Tuesday to push again for an overhaul of the state's parole system. The Fair and Timely Act bill would broaden the criteria used to determine whether an individual should be granted parole, while an elder parole bill would ensure that the inmate over 55 or an inmate who has served at least 15 years in prison would be automatically granted a parole hearing despite the severity of their initial conviction. Many prison inmates are older as New York's overall prison population has declined. Advocates and lawmakers also rallied at the Capitol this week to warn of the growing workforce crisis among mental hygiene nonprofits. They said more funding is needed for higher salaries for workers dealing with New York State's most vulnerable members as they are leaving their underpaid and stressful jobs in droves. The Times Union reports that residents gathered at the Troy City Council's Utility Committee meeting on Tuesday to push for a plan to replace every lead pipe in the city. Superintendent of Public Utilities, Chris Wellen, proposed a 15-year plan to replace all the pipes using a combination of water rate hike and grants. City officials are now testing residents' water in an effort to determine how many houses have lead pipes. The lead pipe problem is with the service line, which runs from the city's main pipe but is the home but's on the homeowner's property. Wayland estimated there were four thousand five hundred 
100 water service lines that need to be replaced. He proposed increasing the water rate by $1 per 100 gallons. The Gazette reports that the Miranda Real Estate Group will provide a 20% discount on their commissions to Schenectady County and city government employees who buy local homes. And that's it for the headlines. And for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390. And first up, Mark Dunley went to a rally in Albany at the state capitol on February 15th. The rally was to show support for the Bigger Better Bottle Bill and the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act. Here we'll hear from Ryan Carson of NYPIRG, N-Y-P-I-R-G, Assembly Member Glick and Senator May, Judith Inc. of Beyond Plastics, and Ryan Castilia, Executive Director of Sure We Can. Waste reduction and recycling advocates rallied at the state capitol Wednesday in support of a pair of bills which would reduce packaging waste by over 50% over a decade while greatly boosting recycling and banning the practice of chemical recycling. The Bigger Better Bottle Bill and the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act are both sponsored by Senator Rachel Mayer of Syracuse. The bottle bill expansion would uh, expand New York's highly successful 40-year-old container deposit law to include non-carbonated beverages, wine, and liquor, and raise the deposit from a nickel to a dime. There are competing bills on what is known as extended producer responsibility. Rather than include an EPR in the state budget, advocates want it to be done as a standalone bill post-budget. As part of a rally, we hear from Ryan Carson of Nyperg. Assemblymember Deborah Glick, the first woman to chair the Environmental Conservation Committee, Senator May, Judith Anka Beyond Plastics, and Ryan Castilia, who is Executive Director of Sure We Can. My name is Ryan Thorson Carson. I work with NYPIRG, the New York Public Interest Research Group. Um, we're gathered here today because New York is just simply down in the dumps, folks. Um, it is absolutely essential that we start to do something about New York State's mounting solid waste crisis. Governor Hochul has introduced a bill that, would, that is branded as an extended producer responsibility bill. Um, the bill does not go far enough. Um, this bill has only mandates a 15% reduction in solid waste which frankly is not ambitious, it does not meet the moment, it is not something that um, is worth doing at this historic moment where New York is drowning in solid waste. Um, since China stopped accepting New York's garbage um, just a few years ago, New York's landfills have been mounting um, and we need to do something. We're not gonna be able to recycle our way out of this process, out of this huge problem. What we're going to need to do is actually start doing reductions and we can't allow the industry to have a seat at the table the state needs to regulate, the state needs to act, and the state needs to tell the industry what to do. They've gotten a really good deal. Let's be, let's be frank, folks. The industry has gotten a really good deal for decades now. The industry has allowed taxpayers to foot the bill of their waste reduction. Uh, this needs to stop. 
Um, we are supporting some really, really great bills today, and we are really excited to be working with Senator Rachel May on an incredibly ambitious solid waste package that is robust, that will be the best in the nation. So, look, this is, this is not controversial stuff. This is stuff that the climate scoping plan actually calls for. Um, and this is a very, this is a great, wholesome approach to our solid waste crisis. Um, Senator May understands that we need a 50% reduction, a 50% reduction from solid waste, and we need to include the bottle bill. I would like to take the opportunity to introduce Assemblymember Deborah Gleck. Assemblymember? Thank you all. We know that we have a serious waste problem, and what we really have is a plastics problem. We are drowning, or rather the oceans are drowning in plastic, and we've got to do something. We've got to do it now. We should have done it 10 years ago. The first plastics that were identified in the ocean was in the early 70s. We've done nothing between now and then. We just have got to make a change. Great, now I have the um, incredible honor of introducing Senator Rachel May. Just had the chance five minutes ago to talk to Mayor Adams in our hearing on local government about waste reduction. And he, he's, in his opening statement, he talked about what the governor had put in her budget as really strong. And I said, well, we got something stronger. <laughs> yes. And we need to do more because the waste from New York City is trucked through my district to Seneca Meadows landfill, which is almost full. They've got to close that landfill. It is not only almost full, but it's leaching PFAS, forever chemicals, into our waterways, and it's just not okay. We can't keep doing this. It's just ridiculous that we assume that we're just going to throw things away and they're going to go away. It's ridiculous that producers and businesses assume they can just send us massive amounts of junk that, gets, that we're going to then throw away, and our municipalities are going to pay the cost of dealing with the waste and the recycling, which does not pay for itself anymore. So I'm very proud to carry these bills. I am so grateful for your support. Great. Next, I would like to welcome up Judith Ank, uh, the president of Beyond Plastics. I'm the former EPA regional administrator during the Obama administration. The most important thing I have to say is we are so grateful to have these amazing women uh, leading the charge for environmental protection in both the assembly and the Senate. Plastic pollution crisis is real. Some of you may have been looking at the media coverage of the train derailment in Ohio. The train cars that blew up were carrying liquid vinyl chloride. That's a toxic monomer used to make PVC plastic, number three plastic. It's used to make clear plastic packaging, plastic toys, plastic shower curtains. If you have them, get rid of them. And this is the price that people in Ohio and Pennsylvania are, are paying, literally with their lives, because state legislatures around the country have not yet adopted packaging reduction laws. This needs to happen in Albany this year. Two specific recommendations. One, we appreciate Governor Hochul putting her proposal into the state budget. However, we urge her to remove it from the state budget. This is not a state spending issue for this year, and it's a complex policy discussion. We need lawmakers to vote on it separately. We need Senator May, Senator Harcum, future assembly bill to stay strong. 
50% reduction in packaging over the next 10 years. Yes. And then with what's left over, it needs to be recyclable. Second, a key provision of the bill is to require a reduction in toxics in packaging. Some of you, yes. some of you may be surprised to know that there's PFAS chemicals in plastic packaging. There's heavy metals, there's formaldehyde, and the aforementioned PVC plastic. We also want to make sure that there are no major loopholes in the law. So the politics uh, on this issue are very interesting. You're going to hear lots of lobbyists and lawmakers say, of course, I, I support extended producer responsibility, which we have very capably renamed the, um, the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act. What matters is the details. We are outgunned and outnumbered in terms of the plastics lobbyists that are roaming the halls of the Capitol. We're up against the plastics industry, the fossil fuel industry, the chemical industry. This is the year passed the strongest packaging reduction laws in the entire country. I just want to note that we have some canners with us, um, the folks who collect bottles and cans and do some of the hard work of recycling. Thank you all. My name is Ryan Castalia. I serve as executive director of Sure We Can, New York's only nonprofit that directly serves canners. These are the folks who collect and redeem the bottles and cans that other people discard around our state. No modern waste system is complete without a bottle bill. Here in New York, across the United States, and all around the world, to be the most effective way to recycle beverage containers. They work because they allow normal people to participate in recycling, and they hold producers accountable for their waste in a simple and direct way. Because of the decades of hard work by canners, today, the bottle bill is New York's most effective existing recycling system. It diverts hundreds of thousands of waste material from our landfills and waterways every year. It keeps our streets free from litter, and it comes at no cost to taxpayers. It's also a mechanism for environmental justice. It creates low barrier opportunities for those who are marginalized and excluded to offer their labor power to better our communities, many of which are already overburdened by waste and pollution. Yet, the bottle bill is neglected. It's out of date. Its five cent incentive is not sufficient to support the essential informal recyclers that sustain the system in the face of the rising cost of living. We want to see that five cent deposit change to 10 cents. Yes. We want to see the number of containers included, which right now is completely arbitrary, expanded to include as many containers as possible. This issue needs to be addressed holistically, not piece by piece. Yes. Yes. We're here today to change this situation and to call out to the governor and the legislature, it's time to honor these hardworking New Yorkers. It's time to recommit to a cleaner and more sustainable New York. Next, Judith Inc. responds to a reporter's question about who is holding up action on waste reduction. The opposition is mostly from the American Chemistry Council, who represent chemical companies, supermarkets, the Food Industry Association, little mom and pop companies like Amazon and McDonald's, uh, <laughs> Coke, Coke and Pepsi, all the big brands. And they're opposed because they have gotten a free ride. They produce packaging, and then all of us as taxpayers have to pay for disposal or recycling. This has been Mark Dunley with the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Four segments on the Better Bottle Bill and the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act. Go to our website, mediasanctuary.org, or continue listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. We will continue updating this story. Kaylee Jamison Consulting Group CEO Fred Miller has worked in the OD, Organizing Development 
For 53 years, he shares his experience and insights gleaned from working with organizations and interest in creating diverse, equitable, and inclusive workspace. This is part two of four. Nobody wants to be seen as just as an order taker. Nobody wants to be seen as, here it is, go do this, go do that. I want to be seen as a human being. I want to be seen as a full human being that brings a lot to the workplace and have a lot of skills to bring. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Marsha Lazarus. What a treat it is to be sitting here with Fred Miller, CEO of the Khalil Jamison Consulting Group in Troy, New York, and learning about how Fred and his team bring about change within corporations. Fred, can you give us some examples of what you've seen in terms of leadership changing their behavior, what possibly a CEO started doing differently. It was a ripple effect throughout the organization. Yes. We were in a a client system once and somebody said, I'll know this diversity thing is working when I don't see the same people going to the same conference room to solve all the issues that we have in the organization because they don't know everything. And yet, right now, we act like they are the brains, and they go in the room, and they solve things, then they come out and tell us what to do. And half the time, they don't know the whole picture. Or another organization, we were working on the shop floor, and working with people who were running the machines. And what they used to do is when the machine didn't work, or there was a problem machine, the supervisor would come over, call the engineer, and, and send the machine operator to the break room until they figured out the problem and solved it. Now, it sounds really dumb as you say it out loud, but that's what they used to do. What they figured out is keep the machine operator there, duh, because that person has more knowledge about it than everything else. But it used to be, us brains will figure it out and you just go away and we'll come, you'll figure it out. And it doesn't work. Another, another client, uh, we're working with a pharmaceutical company and they were having trouble with the vials that they're putting the medicine in as it's going through the production process and they were having some sediment in the, in the, in the vial that was causing a problem. And a team spent, it was over the Christmas holidays, holidays and they spent, they, they worked over the holidays, worked before, after, and during. They couldn't figure out how do we get this problem done? Eventually, they asked one of the people that were operators and they said, oh, yeah, the problem is X, Y, Z. And they said, why didn't you tell us? They said, you never asked. And you didn't act like I was important. So I figured y'all wanted to be working over the holidays. There's thousands of examples of when you include people that they can bring their brilliance to the situation. When you include all the right people, it's not everybody, everything, but the right people that have the knowledge, the experience, and have had the interaction with whatever the problem is, you're going to have a better result. When we just bring in the leaders to talk all the time, you're missing some of the information that is absolutely critical for success. And telling people is not the same as them being in the room when you're thinking about the problem. You gotta give everybody agency in the organization. Agency is their power to influence their job. They don't need to check on everything that's going on. Maybe in ancient days, you had to ask permission to go to the bathroom, right? So, you know, power to influence my job. And if I see something that's, that's wrong in the organization, the agency to call it out, that's wrong. Whereas in the old days, it was like, shut up, do your job, I don't want to hear it. 
one of my other examples, we were working with a utility company in Connecticut, and we were talking about all these concepts. And this was one of the people who climbs the poles. He said, okay, let me see if I got this right, Fred. When I come into work now, I put my lunch pail in my locker, and I put my brain in my locker, and then I just go all day and do what they tell me to do. What are you saying is I put my lunch pail in my locker, but I don't put my brain in my locker anymore. And I say, you got it. That's the world we need. That's how this organization is going to be better and high performing. And the fact that you can bring your brain to work shouldn't be determined by who you are. It should be because of what your job, your responsibilities, and what you know. And that has not been the case. Historically, it's here are the thinkers, here are the doers. We need everybody to be a thinker in our organizations today. So it sounds, Fred, like your job or your work is around, yes, empowering and influencing the CEOs, but also empowering the workers, the line workers, the people doing the jobs. Absolutely. Sometimes they have more knowledge than the CEO. Two is... They're, they want to do good work. They want to be successful. They want to do their jobs well. They're not just worker bees. You know, that whole industrial revolution when people were seen as just hands and feet, shut up. You know, or if I tell you to jump, the other question is how high? Those days are gone. The, revolution, the industrial revolution is almost dead. It's still around, but it's almost dead. And people are wanting to contribute. And... Yeah, some people have varying degrees. Everybody doesn't want to give their body and soul to the organization. But I believe, and I've seen it again, people want to do a good job. People wanted to, one time we were with an with a organization and we had, were interviewing people. We had people come into the interview room. And one person came into the interview room with a notebook. We were like, you didn't need a notebook. We didn't need notebooks. She says, I know that. But these are all the ideas I've had for the last 15 years that nobody's ever asked me. And you asked me to come to this interview, and I thought I would bring all my ideas. I was like, oh my goodness, what waste not to tap that brilliance that that woman had to bring to the organization. How many people are sitting on areas for improvement? And so then we add to that. Are we making a criteria around diversity? Are you the right kind of diversity for us to want to hear? Are you the right kind of person? Do we let your differences get in the way of us listening to you, including you? How included do we really want you to be? How much am I going to share with you? How much are you a partner? How much are we collaborating? Collaboration is the big word for the beginning of the century. We have to have collaborations in our organization. People collaborating, working together, partnering together, learning together, and then producing great things together. A group of people are going to outperform an individual. We just know that. But historically, we've had everybody working in silos and working alone and doing their thing. There's still some need for some of that, but 95% of the work has to be in partnership and collaboration with others, which means we have to learn about how to interact with others because the other may not look like me. The other may not even think exactly like me. They may have a different style of thinking. How do I deal with that diversity and have it be an asset for us versus something I'm afraid of or something I don't know how to tap or support or nurture so that we can have the best that we can do together? Fred, you talk about the need for more heretics in organizations. Do you identify as a heretic? And maybe just elaborate a little bit on that. One of my proudest things in life is having two lines in a book called The Age of Heretics. 
and being identified as a heretic. Um, many years ago, when I was doing work with Connecticut General Life Insurance Company, now Cigna, uh, and beginning of my, my, my work in this field, a heretic is somebody who says, I see what is, and I'm not okay with what is, and I'm going to change what is. And I know it's not popular. I know people think it's wrong to try to change it, but it needs to change. We just wrote a book called Dialogic OD which the title is Change Champions. It talks about Dialogic OD, and it talks about the, the need and a process for getting people together to bring about change in the organization, sanctioned by leaders in the organization, but having the people talk about the culture they need. So that that is a game changer for many organizations. So it's a concept that we're talking about. Some colleagues of ours um, invented it, and we are using it um, in our practice, and we just wrote the book change champions about it. So I was proud to be in that book. And yes, I identify as a heretic. And in short, it means not being satisfied with what is. It's challenging what is. I, I always say, I don't mind being fired by a client. I'd rather be fired by a client because I was challenging them and they didn't want to make change than being a client and keep compromising. We're not a compromising firm. We're not of, okay, we'll just take this and, and we'll just kind of make it what it is. No. People depend on us to be change agents, to be a consulting firm that comes to the organization and will make it different for them. As the founder of our firm, Khalil Jameson used to talk about, it's, it's okay for us to be fired. And so we challenge the clients hard and first to see if the client can deal with challenge. Because if they can't deal with challenge, it's never going to work. Being a heretic is saying, I am not going to be satisfied with what is. We're going to move and make things better. And if it means that I have to be fired or, or pushed out or not listened to because people don't want to hear the message, it's not a bad day. For the rest of that interview, go to our website, mediasanctuary.org or listen to future editions of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Cameron McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. And if you like what you hear, you can support us this program by telling a friend and find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Since Troy's residents found out a few weeks ago about the, their many lead service lines throughout the city, and the administration knew about it for at least five years without action, people have been speaking out and organizing prior to the Troy City Council's public utility meeting on Thursday, February 16th, there was a press conference held by Clean Water for Environmental Action New York to push the city to proactively address the lead issue. Here are some of the voices from that press conference. My name is Rob Hayes. I'm the director of Clean Water with Environmental Advocates New York. We are here today because Troy has a lead in drinking water problem, and the city the mayor and the city council have been ignoring it for far too long. 
It has recently come to light that the city of Troy has had access to grant funding to replace lead pipes over $500,000 for over five years. And over that five years, they have done nothing with that money. It has sat and they have not touched a penny of it. What's even more concerning is that there was at least one mother that had reached out to the mayor and to his administration, telling them that she had a lead pipe and urging and pleading for their help to replace it, and she was ignored. The mayor and his administration have come up with a lot of excuses over the last two weeks to try to explain away why that funding hasn't been touched, but the truth is that there is not a single good reason why the city should not have spent this money five years ago, why hundreds of Troy residents shouldn't have had their lead pipes dug up five years ago, just as other cities that had got this funding, like Albany and Schenectady, have done. That's right. That is right. That's right. So we are here today yeah. urging the city not only to spend this grant money to replace lead pipes, but to commit to a comprehensive plan to replace every single one of Troy's lead pipes. Earlier this week, over 160 residents, Troy residents, organizations sent a letter to Mayor Madden and the city council urging them to commit to a nine-point get-the-lead-out platform that would put the city on a path to 100% lead pipe replacement and guarantee every single person in Troy lead-free drinking water. That is what we'll be looking to hear more details on at the utility committee meeting in just a sec. We want to hear if they're responding to that plan and if they're going to do anything further to address this crisis. I am so pleased to be joined here today by an amazing number of residents and organizations who have been fighting to address this issue for months and years. And so we're now going to go and hear from some of them right now. My name is Jonna Favreau. I'm a mother and resident here in Troy, New York, and my child has lead present in his blood. I am the resident that was continuously reaching out to the city of Troy and the mayor and was continuously ignored, and that's about to change. So I'm here tonight to hear what they have to say, their response from two weeks ago, and it's just not fair that they've taken the stance that if they're not going to help everyone, that they're not going to help anyone at all. And the last point I'd like to make is Clean drinking water shouldn't be available to only those who can afford it. Hi everyone, my name is Jen Baumstein and this is Elliot. And we live in a home built in 1890 in Lansingburg. But up until a year ago, we lived on the east side of Troy. These happen to be the two parts of the city where their highest lead reporting is thus far. My partner and I have a long relationship with lead. My first house was filled with lead paint and we had to become certified abaters in order to receive a grant from HUD to buy our old home. We were unable and frankly unwilling to pay someone upwards of $10,000 so for the work, so we learned how to do it ourselves. And maybe better than some of the larger companies, as it was our lives we were protecting, not clients. I understand the consequences of lead and that one sugar packet size ingestion of lead dust can make a deadly difference. I also have a six-month-old. This means that I was pregnant when I was living on the east side and in Lansingburg. When I tested my pipe after some delay, due to life frankly happening and then seeing Jonna's emails, we were disappointed but not shocked to see our lead line was in fact lead. Multiple generations of people lived in our home before us and have all been affected. We had our water tested and thankfully it came back yesterday with our parts per billion at only 2.5. But as we know on the EPA website, uh, that number should be zero. And 2.5 now doesn't actually mean it won't be higher in the future as we know it's such a volatile substance and you know, God forbid something could shake it, we 
will have a very different situation. I'm an exceptionally busy and pretty well-informed Trojan. There are thousands of people who have less time, fewer resources, and less of education on who are being subjected to these and worse conditions without even knowing it, especially our renters. So when this city says, let's get the lead out together, what they, what they really need to do is get the lead out for us. There are simple remedies and there are more complex ones. To the administration, I say, just get started, do something, and do it especially for the renters whose buildings may not be maintained by their landlords. Hi everyone, my name is Xavier Coughlin. I'm an emergency room doctor here in Troy at Samaritan Hospital. I'm also a co-facilitator of the People's Health Sanctuary, which is a community health space located at the Sanctuary for Independent Media in North Central Troy that is working to build a communal health practice in this region. I'm also a brand new parent uh, of a seven-week-old right now. And I'm just uh, devastated to hear this news that, you know, not only that there's lead in the pipes and that there, there's little children and vulnerable populations drinking this water, but also that the, the city and the, those in charge of our health and our safety have not been acting in ways that we feel that they, that they should. I fully support the nine-point plan to get the lead out. It's not the city's fault that the lead is there, but it is now the city's problem to get the lead out. You know, a society in a city that does not protect those children and the vulnerable from the many, many, many circumstances that we've seen in the past decades where lead has affected these populations is truly an insane society. And so I really call on the city that now be open about what has happened, be transparent, and act as fast as possible to get this emergency dealt with and to protect our children for the future. Thank you, Xavier. Next up, we'll hear from Tyrone McCants, who's with the Community Rising Project. We're here once again speaking against the harms we encounter every day in our communities. We're here talking about getting the lead out of our pipes. Black and brown communities have been exposed, dealing with terrible housing options, leading up to lead exposure, which means black and brown children who are already disadvantaged are higher at risk of developing brain, social, and such as autism. For too many years in the city, we have been sitting on the money to protect our kids, but yet we're here still talking about lead in our pipes. That ain't right. That ain't mm -hmm. right. Our communities suffer, but not in silence, because the Community Rising Project will continue to vote for the voiceless. And Troy, we demand we get our lead out of our pipes. That's right. Get the lead out. Hi. Yes, my name is Sean Kahn. I'm with the Troy Labor Council. Every sip of water in the last five years that has been drank, that is contaminated with lead, is inexcusable. This is a bipartisan failure on the part of the city. This is not a Democrat problem or Republican problem. Carmela Mantella, the city council president, Mayor Madden, uh, have been in office for eight years. The entire time they've had access to this funding, and they've spent zero dollars of it. It's inexcusable. My wife, Ashley, is nine months pregnant. She's due any minute now. We found out very recently that we have a lead service line in our home. We are waiting test results from our sample. Uh, we've not heard from the city since they've collected it. No. We're awaiting blood test results from the hospital. You know, we're, we're hoping for the best, but, you know, we're also thinking of everybody else who's been affected across the city, who th the city did nothing to assist or to provide any sort of warning or guidance to or even distribute filters to their homes to, to, to deal with it in the meantime while they figure out how to accumulate the funding to pay for this pervasive pro problem across the city. So on behalf of our 40 uh, affiliated local unions, we stand, uh, you know, united behind the folks behind behind me and the residents in the city who are affected by this, and we look forward to hearing answers tonight from the city council. Thank you. And next we'll hear from Eileen Javier, who's with the Sanctuary for Independent Media. I'm a resident of Troy, and 
these people that are here are only representing the few of us that are aware of this program. problem. We need to have the city of Troy accountable for what has happened. Five years with money sitting somewhere is not acceptable. At this point, I'm not going to be playing a blaming game. All I need from the city of Troy on behalf of the community that I love and that I live is that we organize a plan and that is transparent. Unfortunately, we cannot believe what they say that they're going to address the issue and it's going to be fixed now. Hi, I'm Noreen McKee with the Justice Center of Rensselaer County. We urge in the most many, forceful how, terms how that Mayor Madden and the city administration do a full court press to find and replace the lead pipes in the city. We find it appalling that our children's health is at risk due to the, to the delay by city officials to address this problem. Indeed, it's even more appalling that there has been $500,000 sitting in city coffers for many years and not a dime has been spent to replace the lead pipes and keep our children safe and healthy. This is government at its worst, and we need to, ha to, to hold our elected officials accountable. Uh -huh. Thank right. you. That's right. At the public utilities meeting that took place directly after the press conference, Mayor Madden responded to the call to action with a plan that will address the issue with 100% coverage of cost. Details are still being worked out, but the city hopes to start around to start round one of the work in May. On February 14th, Grannies for Peace stood on the roadside in Colony, New York, to protest the Ukraine war, as well as other issues like global warming and gun violence. Isabella Lafort was there to report for the Hudson Mohawk magazine. Mohawk magazine. What are you ladies out here doing today? Uh, um, uh, arguing for peace in the Ukraine and for the for the uh, United States, specifically Biden and his and his Department of State, to advocate from his bully pulpit for uh, the parties, all the parties, to come to the table for peace negotiations. And our country is instead escalating the war and. We're pretty angry about that. Yes, yes, I can definitely see how that is very angering. Yes, yes. And you guys are called Grannies for Peace? Well, it's a, it's a consortium. I mean, we've, we've got the Bethlehem Neighbors for Peace. We've got Grannies for Peace. Um, we've got individuals that are just are, are angry about uh, the situation and all the death, plus the fact that the, that, uh, the United States and Russia both have nukes. So what's it, what's it worth? To, to escalate the war. Definitely. How is this going to end? Mm -hmm. If you could say something to the youth and people of my age, like what would you give them advice what they can do to prevent this and stop this? Get out in the street, mm -hmm. call your congressman, call uh, uh, Biden, and most importantly, just get out in the street. 
You, I mean, that's that's the that's what that's what we're down to now. You know, yeah. organizing. It was, it was youth that stopped the war in Vietnam. It was a youth movement um, that built the uh, the anti-war movement, where millions came out in the streets. And you know, if young people want to have a world in the next couple of decades. Um, they, they need to make sure they do have a world. They need to fight against uh, the um, corporations and fight uh, climate change, and they have to fight against war and the possibility of nuclear war. And this is a threat to everybody in the world. I agree. Yeah, the impact of uh, the war on climate change is seldom discussed, and we have yet to decline, go into a declination of greenhouse gas emissions globally. So the time is like past for that to happen and young people, I mean I know you, 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 you guys must be really really busy with your lives but you know this is pretty important though. This, you know, this is your future. Mm -hmm. This and this, it's a it's the future for for all young people, and you know, um, you just got to do something. Just got to do something to declare where you are for the for your future, your children's future, and so on and so forth. Definitely. Thank you so much. What's your name? Sandy Stubing. What's your name? Joe Lombardo. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Hi. What's your name? Ginny O'Brien. And you're with Grannies for Peace? Yeah. yeah. Part of this group sort of an offshoot of it, mm -hmm. but I've just been, um, I'm just so upset about the gun violence in this country. Um, I have granddaughters that are, I have one in college now, and I'm thinking about her after what happened in Michigan, you know, and, and when is this going to stop? It's just gotten out of control with the AK-47s and just too, there's just a preponderance of guns and they're getting into the wrong hands. And you know, no, are you students then? Yes, we're students. So you, you've had to have these drills in school, right? You grew up with that. We didn't. I grew up where they were afraid of a bomb falling. We had to get under our desk. That was going to save us, you know. But you, you have been. You've seen these things over the years, and it's just wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saddened that this has happened to you and to our country. Yeah, I think this is very great what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This is a great sight to see. There's ladies out here holding up peace signs. Some of the signs read, war is not the answer. When the power of love overcomes the power of the world, we will know peace. Jimi Hendrix is one of the signs. It's a great scene out here. There's a lot of people and a puppy. No war, no warming is another sign. So they're protesting a bunch of things out here. Gun violence, global warming, and the Ukraine war all for the youth's future. There are 38 people, by the way. Um, my name is Mabel Leon, and I'm a Grannies for Peace. And Grannies for Peace have called for this peace demonstration today because we feel it is critical that peace talks begin for Iran. Uh, there needs to be peace talks now. And that is based on we are very aware that 
that there be no more civilian bombings, no more bombing of infrastructure, which is leaving people without heat, without water in the dead of winter. There is tremendous suffering for Ukrainian uh, civilians. What we do want to make very clear is Ukraine is a sovereign nation. They were invaded militarily by Russia. This is against the law. This is not an equal situation. But we need to put all our efforts into not extending the war, but to ending it and ending the misery. What would you say to the youth and what is something that we can do to help? Um, well, first of all, I would start on the issue of Ukraine, being very, very worried about the youth in Ukraine who are uh, having their entire country destroyed, no schools, hospitals bombed. But to speak to the youth in this country, we need everyone to come together on this issue. We are not easily going to reach peace. We really have a very strong military framework in this society. And people point a lot to NATO. NATO is depicted as a defensive organization, but it has been involved in many offensive actions, Iraq, Afghanistan, and it also has been very involved in adding as many countries to NATO from around the periphery of Russia, which leaves Russia very threatened. However, that is not a rationalization for Russia's action. Mm -hmm. Russia needs to be held accountable. But most wars end in negotiation. And do we want to negotiate when everything has been destroyed? So that's why we're asking. And you asked specifically about youth. You know, at, in youth, it should be a time when you can enjoy. Learn, enjoy, experiment, and look to the future. I will tell you one of the very horrible concerns around the uh, Ukraine war is the threat to nuclear disaster or nuclear accident. And I think that's very hard to wrap our minds around. I mean, when you mention it, you want to go like this, or that is impossible. But the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists just issued a statement that we have, we have never been closer to uh, a dangerous point than we are right now. So I, I think that's a hard issue for youth to relate to. And when we're comfortable, and not everybody in this country is comfortable, we have, I just heard the number, 40,000 homeless people in Los Angeles. We have a lot of problems in this country, but there are a lot of youth that are comfortable. And you should be able to be comfortable, should be able to be secure, should have health care, should have housing, you should have all these things, and an ability in youth to develop, experiment, learn. Anyway, we need the youth to get behind peace because we need everyone. Yeah. So that was this be is my the call. future. Yes. Peace is our future, war is not. <laughs> Thank you Thank so much. You. For many other Grannies for Peace segments, go to our website, mediasanctuary.org, and put in the search bar, Grannies for Peace. Lee Strembeck.
was speaking with me earlier today, we were talking about the art of acting and the benefits for all aspects of society. Lee Strindbeck, you're with us. You're an actor, a director, a writer, and a teacher. You've been here in the Capital Region for ages, and it's been wonderful. And what made me laugh this morning is I thought, you know, this is like spring awakening. And I went, spring awakening. (laughs) (laughs) You did a most magnificent production of Spring Awakening. Oh, I'm so glad you saw that. I was so incredibly proud of the students and the team and the musicians that we pulled together for that show. It was really a remarkable, remarkable production. It was at Russell Sage. Yes. And that must have been five years ago now. At least, because I think I did cabaret there after that, actually. It was a pretty sensational production. I've been a wild fan of yours ever since. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So what's going on in theater world? Uh, Well, what's going on in theater world is I have been thinking about, um, I'm working on a project with the New York State Defenders Association, their basic trial skills program. And we hire and train 30 actors for that program to play five different roles. And the reason we hire actors is because they help the the young, uh, mostly young public defenders are already practicing law, but they may not have gone to trial yet to a jury trial. And there's a week long intensive at Skidmore in June to help them get ready to go to trial. And that includes meeting their client for the first time after the arrest, getting case information, prepping their client for the stand, impeaching a detective on the stand, which is a you know fairly common, uh, can be a common practice. And we have civilian witnesses that we train. Got me to thinking about the other reasons and other applications for acting other than doing theater on a stage or seeking a professional career because the, this area also has the standardized patient work at Albany Med that many, many actors are involved with. And it's very similar to working with the lawyers. Lawyers and doctors have to have so much information at their fingertips, life-saving essential information that often their education can focus so much on that, that there's an urgency when they communicate that can be a little bit dehumanized. Absolutely. Public defenders are have overwhelming numbers of cases. I mean, I hear their stories every year because I've been a communications coach with that program for 15 years. So you have to kind of roll back, and this is what Albany Med has the actors do, to just check in with the doctor again and go, okay, you, you know all the things to do, but you forgot to look me in the eye. And when I said my mother just died, you just said, okay, and wrote it on a chart. And it wouldn't have taken you much more time to say, I'm sorry for your loss. They don't mean ill. It's just the amount of pressure and stress to get where they got to, to get that degree, to get ready to practice professionally. And actors can be really helpful in the verbal and nonverbal communication, the the story that every human holds. A reminder that every human holds a story. And if you can slow down enough to listen, maybe you don't have to run the six tests immediately. Maybe you would hear something else or even see something else. And of course, there are already many wonderful public defenders and doctors who know this and practice this, but that's, a, that's one application. So what about people who are intimidated with the idea of going on into court 
the New York State Defenders Association doesn't have us coach any of the say there are professional witnesses and then there are witnesses who are coached depending upon you know which side they're testifying for and certainly if you put your client on the stand which often isn't done for a whole bunch of reasons you would spend time working with them we work that into that by basic trial skills intensive week is how to work with your client to get them ready it's a very high stakes situation it's funny because in acting we talk a lot about raise the stakes of the scene you know like make it more important like make a stronger choice well when you're working with a human being who's sitting in court the stakes can't be any higher it, it, again the, the medical and the legal overlap is the venn diagram is very intense in terms of you're meeting people sometimes on the worst day of their life in crisis and how do you as a human being communicate at that point and so actors are being used in the capital region right now every day or people even people who who aren't professional actors but who have an interest and an ability to do this work in standardized patient work so I was thinking about that because I'm going to tell a little story I was talking to a friend this week who is um, in my age range uh, I think she's well she's uh, maybe a few years older in her late 60s and she's had this career that I admire a corporate career and she's known how to make money her whole life which I always think is very cool because <laughs> I've been in fear my whole life and somehow she mentioned she said but what I've always wanted to do is act and just saying it out loud to me she started to cry she's been holding this in her heart for so long and she had never really told anyone the full extent to which she wanted like she's come to see me in shows and she's asked a lot of great questions we've had all these conversations over the past few years never once mentioned it and it made me want to say that there are acting classes available all over the capital region you know patrick white has one laura lee Ecobelli has blue horse repertory theater institute at sage has kids classes proctors has i know kids classes i don't know about adult and Mop and Bucket in Schenectady, you can't go to a better place to do improvisation work. And you don't have to wanna to be a pro. You just have to have, again, this need in your heart to tell stories and connect. And I think all acting classes work on that. They work on being in the moment, having empathy, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, and then of course, becoming someone else. I, I just got all fired up about, you know, wanting people to don't wait, just, just do it. Just take a class, get in there, and something will change for the better. Aaron Moore also does some acting classes. And oh, okay. He works a lot with, with inner city kids. Okay. Too, and he does some wonderful work, too. But also what's important, I think, is not only looking at it that way. Um, what about police? What about them? Does anyone ever contact them about their social and... <laughs> Their, their well, talents or their ability to read or communicate with someone rather than... I do know of a, a lifelong public defender who was hired to work with the police on settling cases fairly. But if you're talking about communication skills, to my knowledge, no one from a police department has sought out actors to say, how can we how can we create a crisis situation and teach you how to do conflict resolution and neutralize first? And I understand that in military training, there is a focus on neutralize a situation first. 
don't escalate don't escalate i talked to a policeman in norway well their training in norway is uh is years i think it's three years long and a lot of it is just de-escalation a lot of it is just what can we do to calm everything because if the police have been called something's already up here somebody's up here somebody's already escalated it might not be both parties but you know um and so that's a really interesting idea <laughs> well i thought so yeah but, but <laughs> yeah but what i'm also thinking of is is so much of acting and, and improvisational skills I mean, do you work with a script or do you work with situations and improvise with the situation? Um, maybe that would also work with the police. It's all improvised, but every single person that we train for their role has, uh, particularly the client, has pages and pages and pages of material to memorize. And it's the stuff that we know about ourselves. Well, how old are you? What, what was your family life like? How do you like your current job? How was your life with your girlfriend until this incident happened? What was the night like in the bar? So they have to memorize a lot, but ultimately it's all improv. The, mm -hmm. the big deal with all of the actors that we bring in, and we bring in some wonderful actors. Currently, we are seeking actors to play the client and we hire mostly black and Latino actors between 25 and 35 who are males, unfortunately, to reflect the criminal justice system and fit with our case. And another point I'd like to make rehabilitation through the arts using theater inside correctional facilities to help people understand what it's like to live in somebody else's shoes or to experience some of the emotions that perhaps they could come up with. I have a friend who's been teaching at Otisville State for uh, over 10 years, and now he has a class at HB Studios in New York City for the formerly incarcerated. Fabulous. Um, he, does, Fabulous. He, he does performances, and he's, um, and I've seen, I've been to Otisville and seen a couple of the performances. You know, it, it's just about everybody wants to be heard, and everybody wants to feel empowered to speak, and that's why I love teaching theater to younger people I've taught K through 12 my whole life. And it's, it's about saying, you know, you have a voice and you are worthy of being listened to, even if it's full com full on comedy and silly, like it can be with some kids, or you have, you have something you need to pour out. So that's, that's the power of, that's one of the many powers of theater. Congratulations on all the work that you're doing. It sounds exciting. Um, there's quite a few courses this summer happening in the Albany area. And I would say to anybody who thinks they can't afford it, always reach out to the organization because many of these organizations have scholarships. Oh, good news. Yeah. yeah. Be persistent. Try not to write, try not to write yourself out on account of money right away, please. And many thanks to Lee Strimbeck for that uh, wonderful few minutes of information. Brilliant. So that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Kellen McPherson, also your engineer for tonight. We want to thank all <laughs> of our volunteers who made this episode possible. Headlines from Mark Dunley. Segment producers were Lucas, Linda Forti, Marsha Lazarus, Elizabeth Press, and your two brilliant co-hosts, Andrea Cunliffe and me, Kaylin McPherson. And we want to hear from you. So find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or send us an email at hmm at mediasanctuary.org. And tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. 
Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. So thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to uh, being with you again soon.